Let me ask you this morning. Where are you headed in life? What direction? What destination? What road have you set out to travel with your life? And let me include this. Will it take you where you want to go? Or someplace you'd rather not be? What road are you headed down in your life? Psalm 1 forms a a road map of sort. It highlights the the right road and the the wrong road. a, a, A right road and a wrong road for for all of us traversing this thing we call life. Given the condition of the world today, it would be good to take a look at this, wouldn't it? The events in our world today, uh, how would you describe them? Tumultuous? (laughs) Troubled? Terrible? Police officers murdered in the street. Police officers themselves killing people for little or no reason. Nightclubs turn into Islamic killing fields. Terrorists on street corners in France and Germany and right here in the United States. Drugs at an all-time high. Uh, Pot legalized in our own state. Suicide at an all-time high. Suicide is legalized in some states. It's easy to see what road the world is on, but what about you? That's a different story, isn't it? It's, it's one thing for the, the, the world to be on a road, but, but what about you? What road are, are you headed down, and will it take you where you want to go? This is the uh, question addressed in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 depicts uh, life as a journey upon upon one of two roads. Oh, I know, we like to think of life as uh, any of many possible roads, all acceptable, all all, all headed to a good, healthy, and uh, rewarding end. But God's Word doesn't see life that way, not the Bible. Throughout, it condenses life into two roads. Two roads. And Psalm 1 offers instruction on those two roads. On on the first road, we find the results of right living. As such, this is the the right road. Uh, Look at verses 1 through 3. Blessed in the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of waters, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. 
the right road, according to the psalmist, uh, rejects certain things, it, it accepts certain things, and as a result, it reaps the benefits. What this person uh, rejects and what is insisted on uh, form two sides of a coin. That coin being what counsel guides a person's life. Are you concerned with the counsel you receive? The advice, the instruction? Have you ever even thought about it? What's being fed into your life? The influences that determine how you come at life. Your basic presumptions. I hope so. Because the traveler on the right road analyzes the advice he or she receives. The the input that sets the, the direction of their life. So ask yourself, who have I been listening to lately? What have I been listening to lately? And why? Is the content godly and appropriate? With a with a good direction to life? Or is it negative and godless? Does it build up or does it tear down? What TV do you watch? What movies entertain you? What news programs feed you the information that you factor into life? Your friends, where do they live? Where do they go for counsel? And what influence do they exact on you? Those on the right road test the things that influence their lives to to see if it measures up or, or, or is useless. Much like metal is assayed to see if it's valuable or worthless. Right living looks at life with a a discerning eye, a a critical eye. Why? Because they want to see if uh, the direction that is set by this way of life is appropriate. If it's godly or not. The right road of life analyzes the, the yeas and nays to life. Things that are right and things that are wrong. Things that are beneficial and things that are destructive. In fact, Christianity is often faulted for being a a system of of do's and don'ts, isn't it? Of wide roads and narrow roads. One day someone said to me, why doesn't Christianity let people live their own lives? Why, Why is it always pushing this or that? Why is this acceptable and not that not? Why can't Christians just leave people alone to live their own lives? This is what I refer to as the, the yeas and nays. It's one of the more common faults thrown at Christianity. Fact is, though, if people think it through, any lifestyle is full of yeas and nays. Every social subgroup 
has things that are acceptable and things that are, are not acceptable to the, to the group. Things that they like and things that they don't like. Even the most lawless of, of lifestyles have their own set of rules. And you abide by those rules. So it's not a question of yeas and nays, but a question of which yeas and nays set the direction for our lives. Right living tests the counsel it receives. It listens to what it's being told. Hear that again. Right living listens to what it's being told critically. Thinking through what's being said. I read about a a man who uh, uh, approached a speaker after... uh, the speaker was through one day, and he says, you Christians are all brainwashed. The speaker looked at him and replied, I think we're all brainwashed to a degree. The important thing is that we Christians choose what we want to wash our brains with. Good response, huh? With that in mind, let me ask you, are you a person who, who consciously chooses what he or she believes? Do you critically look at your own worldview and analyze whether it's, it's right or whether it's wrong? Or do you simply accept what's being fed to you by the world around you, your friends, the news, Hollywood? Oh, it sounded like a good idea at the time. When was the last time you heard that, huh? And what preceded it? Nothing good, I'll bet. And yet, people proceed through life without much real thought as to what they're doing and why. Usually decisions are made based on that very fact, what feels good at the time. One example, news came out this week, just the other day, I think Thursday. Heath Ledger, actor Heath Ledger's last words to his family or to his sister Katie. He told her what he was doing, and she said, you can't mix drugs that you don't know anything about. And he said, Katie, Katie, I'll be fine. Next morning they found him. Do you critically analyze the road you're on, or are you simply rolling along, hoping everything's going to turn out okay? Where will where you're going take you? Is it going to wind up being some place you'd rather not be? Where do you go for counsel? Are you responding to, to life through a, a framework of godly attitudes and assumptions or secular ones? Now, I say secular ones, but they might be secular ones in religious garb. Christians can be secular. They can have a godless worldview. The text says that uh, the one concerned about right living chooses his or her counselors well. Those on the, the right road do not walk or stand or sit in the influence of the ungodly. Who have you been talking to lately? And about what? 
Chuck Swindoll uh, says, a, a Christian without discernment is like a submarine in a harbor plowing full speed ahead without radar or periscope. Or a 747 trying to land in a dense fog without instruments or radio. Lots of noise, great deal of power, good intentions, until. Swindoll says, do I hear you say you want discernment but, but don't know where to find it? Go to your knees. John 1.5 promises wisdom to those who ask. Go to the wise. Discernment is, is better caught than taught. Those who have the disease are often highly contagious. Go to the word of God. That's where Swindoll ends. Go to the word of God. It's where this text picks up, isn't it? That's exactly where the psalmist takes us. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Thomas Merton once said, By the reading of Scripture I am so renewed that all of nature is renewed around me. The sky seems to be a a deeper blue, the, the, the trees a deeper green. The whole world is, is suddenly charged with the, the glory of God. God's word breathes life, invigorating life, life most vivid. You see things differently when you read the word of God. Blessings happen when people hit the road of life driven by the word of God. It energizes like, like nothing else. Let me offer you some basic reasons for seeking the, the blessing of a solid biblical foundation. Reasons why you should seek the delight of God and the truth of his word. Reasons you why you should invest yourself in a study of God's word. First, biblical knowledge gives substance to faith. All believers need substance to their faith. I, I know there are those who, who want to play religion, who really don't have any substance to their faith, but believers who love their Lord want his substance in their faith. Uh, uh, Romans uh, ten seventeen says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Second, biblical knowledge establishes us during times of testing. When the winds blow, when the, the, the elements pelt, we need the anchor of God's word if we're to hold fast in spite of the elements. Third, biblical knowledge equips us to detect and confront error. Error abounds. You don't have to walk very far to run into error, do you? Error abounds. And it wants to include us in its ranks. Biblical knowledge protects us from, from falling into the trap that error sets. Fourth, biblical knowledge gives confidence to our daily walk. Assurance. I don't know about you, but... Uh, 
The roads of life are full of distractions that can dishearten and discourage you. The Word of God helps clear that fog so that we can see where we're going and where we need to be. There's not a person in this room this morning who would not benefit from these these reasons for investing themselves in a good, solid, biblical foundation. God's Word forms a, a sure, secure atlas to guide us on our journey of life. Right living rejects certain things. It, it insists on certain things. And, and what was the third thing I said? Oh, yes. Reaps the benefit. Blessings are the result of right living. Verse, verse 3 puts it in, in poetic form. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. A poetic description, a description uh, of a tree tells us that uh, right living gives both endurance and fruit. Or in case you missed it, uh, it's spelled out in the next sentences, isn't it? Uh, Whatever he does prospers. It brings us a prosperous life. Now, now don't derail here. Prosperity has nothing to do with uh, fame or uh, health or, or wealth or any of the other things that uh, rank so high in our world today. Nor does it have anything to do with the faith uh, movement, the, the, the gospel of prosperity. It's not what's taught by people like Benny Hinn or Joel Osteen or uh, Joyce Myers who preach that God wants you to be prosperous, he wants you to be healthy, he wants you to be wealthy, wants you to be wise. What a horrible heresy this is that these people promote in the guise of Christianity. To prosper corresponds to yield it fruit in season. Fruit, yes, uh, fruit, fruit like uh, Paul spells out in Galatians, the the fruit of the Spirit, 522. But the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I say it out of order? Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Why would Paul say that there? Because if you look at the previous paragraph, it spells out all of this sinful nature. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. Step with the Spirit. Where are you walking? What, what road are you traveling? A road filled with the fruit of the Spirit? Yes, being prosperous as... Uh, the Bible talks about has nothing to do with the things that the world finds so dis, so seductive. Instead, spiritual prosperity involves intangibles like, like love and joy and peace, blessings that only the Lord can give, real blessings, blessings that are going to accompany you right through the pearly gates while everything else is going to be left behind. Every bit of it is going to be left behind. The first road of Psalm 1, blessed are the results of right living. 
Blessed are those who travel life as God intended it to be traveled. The second road of life heads out in the other direction. And it details the consequences of unright living. As such, this is the the wrong road. Verse 4 continues with the ominous words, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that that blows, that, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Does not so the wicked. How, how somber that sounds, doesn't it? Especially with, when compared with the opening words of the, the previous stanza. Blessed is the man, not so the wicked. Do you see the contrast? How radical it is. It's, a, it's an antithesis. Uh, uh, things that are so opposite, they can't be mixed. Blessedness and, and wickedness. Two total opposites. Two Opposing paths to life. Wickedness. How would you describe someone who is wicked? Adolf Hitler? Saddam Hussein? Judas? Well, wickedness as presented in Psalm 1 is not so extreme. Wickedness, as presented here, is more common, more every day. Wickedness like your next-door neighbor. Or the guy or gal that you work with, whose life is on the wrong road. It could even be the person sitting next to you this morning in church, because wickedness isn't exempt from the church. I know we like to think it is, but it's not. There are people in the church on this wrong road. That's a sober thought, isn't it? Wickedness is given in Psalm 1 are all those who who reject the direction of life as presented in that opening stanza. Wickedness are, are all those who seek insight in all the wrong places in rejection to God's wisdom. Yes, even people in churches reject the Lord's wisdom. They love playing at religion, but they really don't value his truth. Traveling the wicked road is done by many of the people that each of us know and love. The psalmist uses other words to describe wicked. uh, He uses words like sinners and... uh, Mockers to describe them, people whose uh, rejection of the Lord's wisdom is, is a slap in God's face. Sinners, great and small. One such man is Ted Turner. Why bring up Ted Turner? Well, because he's a huge influence in our world today. And yet few people realize it. His influence determines... Much of what the news is. This man uh, who, with his news empire, decides what you hear, what you don't hear, and the slant that's given it to it all. 
Years ago, I used to flip between the three major channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And I'd watch the news, and there'd be a story. I thought, that's interesting. I'd switch to the other channel, and I'd hear the same story with exactly the same words, and I'd switch to the third channel. And I said to Kathy, I said, look at this. It's the same words exactly. Where do you think they're getting? Ted Turner. They all go to the same source. I bring up Ted Turner because uh, have you ever heard how he describes you and me? I quote Ted Turner, Christianity is a religion for losers. That's you and me. Where do you get your news? What information base sets your outlook on the world? And what does it do as it sets the direction of your life? The two roads uh, uh, of life according to to Psalm 1. These are them. One in the wisdom of God and, and one that originates in natural wisdom. One that is supernatural. And one that objects to the truth of God's word. One that seeks life God's way. And one that seeks life its own way. One that that cherishes God's way and God's wisdom. And one that rejects God's way and mocks those that do. Why do you think you dare not mention Jesus Christ or the church in school? In public school? Why do you think it's... uh, against the rules in school to pray. And then look at what else has been happening. Now they're teaching Islam. Christianity is wrong, but Islam is all right. Do you know they're teaching Islam in our schools? Figure that out. 108 years ago, December 28, 1908, at 5.20 a.m., an earthquake uh, struck and destroyed the extraordinarily beautiful city of Messina, Italy. Totals compiled 75,000 dead. It's ranked as uh, number 10 deadliest earthquake in human history. Oddly enough, in the weeks before this terrible earthquake, the people of Messina had decided to place themselves at odds with God. They, they drew a line and they separated themselves from godliness. These rejections of God were expressed in a series of public proclamations against Christ and against his principles. Three days prior to this earthquake, the Christmas edition of the, the local newspaper promoted these resolutions and actually dared God Almighty to make himself known by sending an earthquake. Godliness thinks it can deny the Lord with impunity. And the Lord did, in his sovereignty, allow them to express their wickedness. And then he gave them over to their wish, didn't he? How does the the psalmist say it? Verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. 
the consequences of unright living lead nowhere but the judgment of God. All this rolls to a conclusion in the last verse of the psalm. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the big idea of the psalm. The point, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. Folks, there is a a right road and a wrong road to this thing we call life. A, a, A godly road and a godless road. A road of blessing and a road that offers nothing but dire consequence. The question for us this morning is which road are we on? And is it the road we want to be on? Will it take you where you want to go? Most of us are aware of the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It was written by a man named uh, Robert Robinson. And what seems impossible is what happened uh, a number of years after he had written that hymn. 